welcome to Contingency FM. I actually forgot my harmonica. I lost it. Um, hold on, you can make the noise. There we go. Right. Um, so today in the studio, uh, 105, uh, uh, is myself and Phil. And today we've got Hamida. Hello. Who is joining us as co-host. And we are uh, welcoming Dr. Andy Mellon, who is hello. a paediatrician in the trust do you want to yeah well we guess you said hello so <laughs> anything else you want to say about yourself who, who are you <laughs> paediatrician in the trust and i'm one of the sub deans for the university medical school cool um and so today we're going to be uh, uh andy's very kindly given up his time to chat to us about uh, pediatrics uh so um first question of the day uh have you got a joke for us Two quick jokes. I'm very excited. Okay. One may work, one may not. Okay. So a priest, a minister, and a rabbit walk into a blood bank, and the rabbit says, I think I must be a typo. <laughs> that one needs a bit of thinking about. It's better no, that's than good. Red. That's good. Uh, second one, in case that one doesn't sound as though it's good. Uh, two athletes. First athlete, are you a pole vaulter? Second athlete, no, I'm a German, but how do you know I'm called Walter? <laughs> That was my father-in-law's favourite joke. Those are that's two a, very a, strong jokes. That's very strong, very strong. Very strong. Um, I actually got them this time because yeah. uh, the one we recorded yesterday, I, uh, it was a long pause while I was waiting for Mickey Jachuk to finish his joke and realised he had already done so. <laughs> so where did you where, where did you start your, uh, your career and where, what, how did it lead you into paediatrics? Okay, so I trained at St Mary's Hospital Medical School in London, as it was. Uh, it's now part of the Imperial Group, and I did my paediatric attachment there, and during that met a very inspirational psychologist called Chris McManus, mm. who subsequently has had a very productive career in medical education. Um, he set up a project for myself and a colleague to get involved with uh, on handedness in small children. Mm which I did, that involved going into primary schools in London um, mm. and looking at how children handled things and which hand they used, and that was interesting enough. But the other thing he was, he introduced me to a small mission hospital in rural Zimbabwe where he'd done a clinical attachment with a friend who was mm. a South African doctor. And as a result, my friend Roger and myself both went separately to do our electives in our final year. Uh, in this rural place called Bonda, mm. uh, which for anybody who knows Zimbabwe is uh, near Rusapi, um, towards the northeast of Zimbabwe in the highlands. Um, and the first day you arrived there, the doctor, who's a lady called Margaret Fielding, said, Hi, here's your paediatric ward to look after. That's uh, crazy. It was crazy. I was a fifth year, halfway through my fifth year at medical school. Uh, final year and uh, and it was very supported and and supervised but equally got lots of clinical experience it's yeah. where I first saw a child get better because of something I'd done wow. which is a lovely feeling to get and why I think experiencing something about real patient care mm. and outcomes is so important to a student mm. to believe that you could do the job mm -hmm. because so many I'd spent my entire career thinking I'm a fraud maybe I shouldn't be here. So to actually go and diagnose a pneumonia and to see a child get better with malnutrition by me following guidance, but actually looking mm -hmm. at children day after day was great. Mm -hmm. So those got me interested. Um, and then when I came back and qualified, 
I then had to think after my house jobs what I wanted to do because we only did one year house jobs in those days mm. and I decided I would do paediatrics. There was the option for me of thinking about adult medicine but I thought that was too hard mm. and it's interesting many colleagues have said that's the reason they didn't do paediatrics because mm. they thought it'd be too hard. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really how I got my start in paediatrics. Mm. Was there ever any other speciality that you were interested in apart from paediatrics? Um, I guess I tossed up between medicine, which I quickly thought no, but then between general paediatrics and so paediatrics and general practice, mm. um, and that I, I took the option to start in paediatrics. Um, nearly reached the point of giving up on paediatrics because I struggled with my clinical exams, mm. and I can remember walking around a park in Edinburgh, having taken my part two membership for the fourth time, mm. and saying to my wife. I don't think I can do this again. And well, then I passed, yeah. so I did. Amazing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's funny just how sort of things blow you in one direction and then another. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so what what is it about paediatrics which uh, you love? I love the people I work with. I love the children that you work with. Uh, but that's not in an OR way. I've had to learn a lot of skills to manage and interact well with children. Um, but there is something satisfying about seeing a child improve reasonably quickly on the mm -hmm. whole and then go home. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I guess that was one of the things that daunted me about adult medicine was maybe mm -hmm. the chronicity of it. Although the further you go on in paediatrics, the more you realise you're dealing with chronic diseases mm. much of the time anyway. So, mm. you know, there are children who've been with me much of my time in Sunderland. Mm. Um, uh, and again, one of the interesting things is when you start to see at this stage in my career, the children of other children that you've treated when they were children. Oh, wow. Um, so, yes, it makes me feel ancient. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of an element of sort of that GP life as well though isn't it of being able to treat people through their life and then through the life yeah. of their children so I you think you have to know people's stories to really understand what their illness is yeah. and it is not just a matter of understanding illness to be able to treat people yeah. um, and I think all too often people perhaps do think of the disease rather than the person affected by a disease yeah, yeah. And yeah. within paediatrics, that's that's obviously very important. Mm. Yeah. I know this isn't something necessarily specific to paediatrics. Obviously, it's quite specific to your situation. Um, but you mentioned there about sort of having a very supportive team around you. Um, that uh, it's interesting that you said uh, that was the first first thing which comes to mind is the main reason you love your job. Yeah, I mean. There's something about knowing that other people have got your back mm. uh, and that you can rely on them and working with a team who allow you to do the best to the best of your ability mm. and knowing that they will be supportive of you. There's, whatever you go into, that's going to be crucially important. Mm. That also, your experience of a team can put you off a specialty. And certainly yeah. I've, I've had that experience myself mm. of things that I've, gone in and probably because I haven't gelled with that team it's infected my feeling about that area of specialism mm -hmm. um, so yeah I think you 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 can't choose your relatives but you can choose your colleagues yeah and you need to pick them carefully yeah I, I guess that's quite uh, good advice for anyone specifically it might be thinking about um, 
what direction they want to go. I think sometimes it could be a lot of pressure of, oh, I need to make the right choice, I need to get into the right specialty and the amount of choice and the sort of level of commitment required to get to the end goal can be quite daunting. But actually just to know that, first of all, if you have a bad experience, don't let it put you off one. But also there's probably lots of specialties which will suit you and your character, but it's as important when you get there to choose your colleagues wisely. Yeah, I, I mean, you've touched on something there. I can remember a colleague of mine, uh, Chris O'Brien, who's a paediatrician in Newcastle, um, talking about junior doctors being like pluripotent stem cells. <laughs> um, and he said, if you think about it, we pluck them out of one setting, drop them in another, and know that within two to three months they will be functioning at the level they really need to do mm. in that area, even mm. if they've never experienced it before, because yeah. they bring so much else with them. And I think we shouldn't forget that. And that's why I think foundation programmes are good, because I think it gives you a chance to test out. It's why I think many junior doctors choose to spend time before choosing their specialty doing mm. other things. And I was lucky to spend time within programs in Australia, which helped me enormously learn about myself and what I was interested in. Mm. But I think just always thinking about what the opportunities are, but also being prepared to bend and be flexible. Mm. It's a bit like somebody told me about marathon training. Don't just set one goal. Mm. If you set one goal and it doesn't work out, you're going to be disappointed. Whereas if you say, well, if that doesn't... If I don't achieve that, what would also feel yeah. like success? And yeah. I think I think we're very driven people in medicine. Yeah. And I think actually acknowledging that by saying, okay, this may not be where I started out, but if I can redirect myself, mm. that sometimes helps you deal with some of the choices you've got to make. Absolutely, yeah. keep that motivation up and that drive going, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So what uh, what is the hardest thing uh, for you about paediatrics? The hardest thing for me is... I do find it hard to switch off. Hmm. Um, I don't wear being a doctor lightly, um, and that's partly my persona. Uh, that's part of who I am. I would find something to be concerned about whatever I did. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so I think that I think, and I think my wife and family would probably say that's that's been the toughest thing. I hmm. think uh, I don't feel comfortable walking away from situations where I think I could be doing more. Um, I do. I've found ways to deal with those stresses. Um, and I think trust your patients. The vast majority of them are not going to take advantage of you. Mm. Uh, has served me well. Um, I won't say anything more than that. I mean, I just think uh, listen to what their concerns are and you're more likely to be getting on the right track. And it's amazed me how often, when I don't think I've done a good job, a parent or a child says thank you mm. because you stuck with us even if you couldn't provide an answer yeah. mm. uh, which is it's it, that's the most frustrating thing in anything if you don't feel you've got the solution yeah. we can't solve everybody's problems mm. but we can keep working with them as doctors we like to yeah. fix things don't we yes yeah. so much of our job is actually beyond that finding a, a solution it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because in my head pediatrics uh i guess my stereotype of it is oh 99% of the patients get better because yeah. kids really want to get better um, and it's interesting that you sort of your comment the hardest thing is about I guess for those or whatever percentage it is but I'm guessing the minority of patients who we don't get to an answer or you don't necessarily they don't necessarily get better I, I think the vast majority of children 
I'm doing my out of hours in paediatric emergency department. The vast majority of children I see on any shift I know will be better in 48 hours. Mm. I could walk in and say that to them and 95% of the time I'd be right and 5% I'd be an idiot. Mm. Um, but we know that the vast majority of children, yes, will bounce back very quickly. Interesting, we've seen in the COVID, the coronavirus situation, children are not being affected in the same way as mm. adults are. Um, and that's led to a massive downturn in what we're seeing coming through the door of people coping with minor things in a way they didn't. Mm. However, as with everything, adult medicine or not, it's chronic disease that mm. takes up your time. Yeah. And it's things that don't resolve themselves easily that make you lose sleep at night at mm. times or make you have to focus and work that bit harder to, to, to get a, an improvement in the situation. Um. I, I don't know if this is uh, too personal a question, but uh, how do you find it um, when your patients die as children? Um, first off, it's it's not that common. Mm. Um, it's something, as in everything in medicine, you adapt to and get used to. And I think, uh, I think continuing to try to do the best you can for people in the most awful of circumstances is all that you can hope to do in that situation. I think we do get quite used to dealing with giving people less than good news. And, and I think, I wouldn't say there's things worse than death, but, but if I sit down to tell a 12 year old that they've got inflammatory bowel disease, I know what I'm telling them for the future. Mm. I know what their future holds. I know what the ups and downs they're going to go through. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we've all had to think about this. I think everybody's probably reflected on their own mortality recently. And I think that sense that having to deal with bad news in any form is a sort of grief. Mm. Uh, and I certainly see children grieving for their loss of care mm -hmm. and that they've got to think about things they don't want to think about now that's moving us away from death when death happens I, I do think it's I think being empathic about it you won't understand but you can understand enough to 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 walk with a family I think paediatricians on the whole, will think about going to funerals, for instance. Mm. And I'm not saying that adult physicians or GPs won't, but it's probably more challenging to go to a significant percentage of, of yeah. funerals, whereas a lot of paediatricians, myself included, have gone to, to funerals of children. Mm. Um, and again, I, I think we somehow feel we've let people down, whereas helping somebody achieve a dignified death whatever age they are mm -hmm. and helping a family to manage that I wouldn't say deal with it but manage themselves through that if you can do that as well as you can that's still something to hope mm -hmm. to achieve in a horrible situation absolutely yeah. so my next question Dr Mellon is what advice would you have for F1s or junior doctors rotating into paediatrics oh um, I would say don't be frightened uh, be aware that yes the scale of the size changes uh, the maturity changes everybody worries about children crying um, don't be frightened of that happening don't don't be scared about talking to children and their families 
um, and watch watch what happens but don't forget your core skills mm. it's something I'd bat on about that mm. I think sometimes people walk into paediatrics and they see us apparently not examining children carefully mm. um, but for an experienced paediatrician what they've got used to is gaining as much as they can by standing back and looking in on the situation first the walk from A&E waiting room to the room is really important time to understand how a child's responding to pain for instance it's mm. look at the people who've been doing it for a while mm -hmm. ask questions we don't expect you to know everything but equally ask to do stuff because I think sometimes people feel I'm only the F1 I can't get involved mm -hmm. uh, and yet there's so much people can do mm. um, if you don't do an F1 job in paediatrics but are interested tasters mm -hmm. I'd certainly encourage people to mm. to to do that if you end up wanting to do paediatrics but don't get a chance to do a job then just think about what you do what we want to choose and I, I I'm also very involved with the School of Paediatrics from the postgraduate front we want people coming into paediatrics with good core skills I've talked about that pluripotent stem cell mm -hmm. we don't mind what you've done mm -hmm. what we want is for you to be interested and to have skills that you can apply. So if you've done only care of the elderly jobs, there's lots of things that you can bring into paediatrics mm -hmm. from that that are entirely relevant. Good quality improvement work, things that you've learnt in other settings. Absolutely. Right. So I guess by core skills, do you mean sort of, uh, sort of things like history taking, examination, differential? Absolutely. What, what else would come under core skills for you? Critical thinking. I think, um, I think trying to be questioning about things don't accept what you're told be prepared to read around i think one of the things that's probably underestimated by a lot of junior doctors is how much checking of the literature we do and mm. i've come from a generation where to check the literature you had to walk to a library mm. whereas you can just sit at your desk and and make a really sensible useful search and it, so often we find stuff that is directly relevant to the care of patients by mm. doing that and don't be afraid to ask people if you don't know there is no shame. I used to think as a consultant that, you know, yes, the book stops with you, but you had to know everything. Mm. I very quickly mm. disavowed myself of that. You, you need to know when you don't know stuff and be prepared to ask. Mm. So in a way, that is the same represented down. Don't, don't feel that somehow you should be able to do more than you should. Equally, don't be frightened to have a go. Mm. Final question for you today yeah. uh, is... If you had to be any kind of kitchen utensil, what would you be and why? Right. I was warned about this question, so I have had to think about it. And there's only one possible answer. You would be a really efficient cook's knife. Okay. Sharp, mm -hmm. multi-purpose, used for anything from chopping your vegetables to filleting your fish. Uh, I just couldn't survive in a kitchen without the, a good cook's knife and a sharpening stone. That would, it would have to come with a proper sort of stone to, to keep it sharp on. Keep it sharp. Fair enough. There we go. Great answer. Uh, thank you very much for your time today. We've really appreciated it. This has been Contingency FM. Come on, Amida. Do it. Do it. Be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, stay tuned if you want to hear any more about Andy's journey into medicine and paediatrics. You mentioned there that it took some time to find the speciality that you were most um, interested in because you subspecialize in gastroenterology, is that right? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So how did you get to that? Um, so brief overview of my career. I spent two years in Stoke-on-Trent as an SHO, including some time as second on. So that would be as an F3. Mm. I was effectively being a middle grade, just to put it in perspective, which is scary. It scares me in retrospect. Um, I learned something about general paediatrics there, but had a very inspirational consultant uh, called Dr. Hill, who looked after some children with cancers shared care with Birmingham and I thought oh that's interesting I'd like to do some of that so I went to Leeds to do a paediatric oncology job and six months of that made it absolutely clear to me it wasn't the specialty for me mm. it didn't suit me I didn't suit it it would have destroyed me mm. and I think that's not saying it's a bad specialty it's just saying you need to have a particular approach or resilience you need to find the thing that feels right for you mm. Out of my time in Leeds, I spent some time doing cystic fibrosis work with a guy called Jim Littlewood, who again was an inspirational sort of leader. And I then came up to Newcastle as a registrar and got the opportunity to go to Brisbane on an exchange, which I've mentioned briefly. Went out thinking respiratory was gonna be the thing, came out thinking gastroenterology, because mm. again, I'd, I'd seen the way a team could work around the problems. Mm. There was some crossover to the area I was interested in, which was CF. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really when I started to focus more on gaining paediatric gastro skills, mm -hmm. but equally didn't feel that a teaching hospital tertiary level consultant job was what was going to be the strongest fit for me, mm -hmm. which is why I've worked through my career in general paediatrics with gastroenterology as a fairly substantial subspecialty interest here in Sunderland. Mm. Mm. I think that from, from what you described there, it kind of gives me that knowledge of it's okay not to know what you want to do straight away and to take time to to try different things out, find the right fit for you as a person, especially as you grow and change as a doctor as well. Yeah, I mean, I think lots of students will then come across that feeling of, oh, I've fallen in love with the last thing I did. And that's fantastic because you are immersing yourself in something and getting as much as you can out of it. Mm. Not everybody is 100% sure that they want to be thisologist or mm. that or a GP. Mm. Um, and they need time to experience those things and find out for themselves. And mm. I don't begrudge anybody taking the time to do that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right, so for our next question, okay. Dr. Mellon, I want to know, what did you want to be when you were a child? What did you want to grow up to be? What did I want to be? Well, the obvious thing would be starting off with fire engine driver or uh, I think I wanted to be a journalist at one point Ooh, um, solid choice that's I, quite quite a like like a, well as a kid I just wanted to be a toy shop owner <laughs> <laughs> I probably went through that phase as well I'm sure um, yeah I the, my parents were both teachers one thing I knew I did not want to be a teacher. <laughs> yeah. The irony for me then is that I've ended up with a substantial teaching interest in my career, yeah. um, which my mother and my father, when he was alive, used to laugh about. Um, again, I knew I, I was quite a nervy child, um, didn't like doctors, didn't like hospital, had spent a bit of time in and around them with one thing and another. Um, and I got interested in medicine, this is not answering your question, but it's sort of answering a related one, I think. I got interested in medicine only at about the age of 15. Ah. Um, because I started to get interested in chemistry and forensic chemistry. Mm. 
And I had an aunt who was an anaesthetist who mistook that for an interest in forensic pathology. Okay. Who said, oh, you'll have to do medicine. And then I started reading about medicine and fairly quickly, I think, realised that dealing with murder and uh, suicide and all that goes with being a forensic pathologist probably wasn't going to be my cup of tea. Yeah. Um, but uh, it opened my eyes to thinking more about what I could do with my life because I wasn't quite sure mm. where I wanted to go mm. um, and and then just redirected a bit of exams to get the right things mm. in line for getting into to study medicine. Mm. That's um, how it all started. There we go. So uh, when I do have a career though I mean I'd love to be an artist or a rock musician you know <laughs> the usual sort of boyhood things really. Yeah. So when you grow up you'll do that. Yeah. Absolutely yeah there's still time. <laughs>